Ladies and gentlemen, today we are continuing in our sermon series on gospel stories. And you get to hear a little bit more of my story today. And today we're focusing on a specific part of the gospel that is one that is obvious that we have to talk about. And that for some reason we do a bad job talking about it. But it's because it's kind of uncomfortable at time, times. And that uh, topic is sin. We're talking about the concept of sin today, okay? Oh, sin. That thing which has actually plagued humanity since basically uh, day eight of creation, it seems like. Don't quite know quite what day, but it seemed pretty darn close after day seven, whenever people started messing stuff up. We know that in seven days, God created the world perfect. Everything put in its place. Everything uh, in the beginning of Genesis, God created everything perfect. Everything was uh, not hit by the corruption of the fall. Everything was uh, just wonderful and incorrupt, right? And then people came along, and we did what we do, which is mess things up. And so from the very beginning of the story, we see the fact that the people tend to mess things up. And this is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Fun story, if you go to the Malone thing. This is what we're talking about tomorrow, too. It's one of the genres, one of the... Uh, uh, what's the topics that actually spans the entirety of Scripture. One of the themes that runs throughout Scripture is people's Scripture is people suck, right? Whatever, dude. People suck. I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. I love you. You're awesome. <laughs> so Genesis 3, we hear about people falling, disobeying God, choosing not to listen. Uh, as Jake would say sometimes, choosing a lesser good, which is choosing not good, Right? And messing things up. And because of that, there's consequences that have spanned throughout all of human history and all of world history. The world is broken because of our sin. And we see this not just in Genesis 3, but then the very next story of the Bible, the flood. We see that because of sin, the world became more and more horrible. And eventually, God just pressed a reset button. But then following that reset button, directly afterwards, we hear about Noah, one of the people who was called righteous and one of the ones that was actually saved from the flood, we see him doing the exact same thing Adam did. If you don't know this, Adam was a dude, lived in a garden, right? He was a man of that garden, caring for it and tending for it. And there were so many things that were awesome about this garden, but for some reason he consumed some of the fruit of that garden, and he ended up naked and ashamed, right? Noah was a man who was a man of a vineyard, a garden. He was a man who uh, was considered righteous, but he ate some of the fruit of his vineyard, or he drank it, and wine, and what happens to him? He ends up laying in his tent, naked and ashamed. Huh? Well, not afraid. They didn't care. He was drunk out. He just didn't know what he was talking about. He was completely gone. His son shames him, too. It was his son's sin that was really interesting. I think his son's name was Canaan, right? Or Ham? Ham. Thank you. Ham was the father of Canaan eventually. All right. So his son walked into the tent while his father was naked, because his, he had fallen back drunk and his robe was over his head, right? And he sees his dad and he's like, ha! Look at dad. And he doesn't hide his father's shame. Instead, he runs and grabs his brother. He's like, come check out what dad did, right? His brother's peeking. They're like, what are you doing? And they grabbed a blanket and walked backwards into the tent and threw it over their dad to cover up his shame. So we see that in his son. His son kind of sucks too. Noah does bad things, mimics Adam, basically shows that humanity is imperfect. And then Adam... And then uh, Cain, uh, Ham does the same thing, right? And we go a little bit further on to the next story. There's Babel. People completely disregard what God had told them to do. God has said, I want you to go forth, multiply, fill the land, spread out, and take charge over it, right? And the people hear this, and they say, okay. And what they do is instead of going forth and spreading out, they all gather into one place, and they try to build themselves up to God. So God says no. Scatters them. Next story, we hear about Abraham. There's a righteous person, Right? Finally, we've hit someone who's going to do everything right until he literally tells people that his wife is his sister because he's afraid they're going to kill him and gives his wife over to be other people's wives uh, and lies about it and doesn't do this once but does it twice. He does that twice, people. And then following that, he also was told by God, this is the sort of things I'll do for you. I will give you a son. You will be, he will be a father of many nations. The whole world will be blessed through him. I will give you a land as well. And Abraham goes, okay, this is taking too long. I'm going to do it myself. And he tries and pushes. He does dumb stuff. Moses killed a dude. 
before he went out and saw the burning bush. Moses killed somebody. And then God told Moses what he wanted to do, and Moses was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then God says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. Fine, I guess I'll do it. And then they save the people from their sins, right? God redeems the people. He brings them out of, the, out of Egypt, brings them into the promised land. And then the people basically just grumble and rebel about it. Oh, we would have been better off in Egypt than slavery. Everything would have been great if we would have just stayed there. None of us would die. We wouldn't be hungry. Everything would be perfect. Then God is having this moment with Moses up on a mountain, giving him the tablets that are saying, this is what it means to be my followers. And while he's doing this, the people of Israel, who he had rescued out of Egypt, are down there saying, we're bored, we want a God, and making another God. Literally one of the gods of Egypt, by the way. Golden calf. Well, it's actually a god of Egypt. And they went ahead and uh, just started worshiping their old gods again. The entire story of the Old Testament is basically Israel choosing not to listen to God and God loving and blessing them anyway. Over and over again. This sin permeates the world. Sin is why the sacrificial system was set up in the Old Testament. Because sin affects us in our relationship with God. And because of that, something needs done to correct it. And so part of that correction was the shedding of blood on behalf of our sins. Pointing forward to what would be shed, by the way. The whole point of the sacrificial system was to point to what God would do. But it was a massive thing that needed fixed. It separates us from God. It keeps us from being who we're supposed to be. It causes us to break the world. It divorces us from creation, and it divorces us from our creator. Sin is bad. And we all sin. When I say sin is bad, but I don't just mean sin is bad stuff. Sin is, sin is imperfection. It's not being perfect. We're called to be perfect as God is perfect, and we're not perfect, so we sin. I cannot perfectly reflect his glory. I cannot perfectly demonstrate who he is. And because of that, I break things. And because of that, people break things around me. So I'm going to tell you a story about a time whenever I was heavily affected by someone else's sin and the way in which it led to my sin, okay? So here's a story of the way in which I was heavily affected by someone else's sin. Uh, I've been a pastor for 13 years now. I've spent a lot of time pastoring people. Uh, and I used to be a pastor of a church, the first church that I was ever a, a, a leader in. And I spent seven and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half, nine years there, right? poured blood, sweat, and tears into the place, and I'm not joking, I bleed a lot because I'm dumb and I hurt myself, right? Poured out of myself into this church, into these people, and spent a bunch of time trying to be a good leader. Now, if you guys have ever met me before, I fail at that relatively often, right? Uh, I am sometimes overly harsh, I'm sometimes overly critical, I do a bad job basically being like Jesus, relatively often. And while I've gotten better at it recently, imagine me before I started learning things. I'm still not the most humble of people in the world right now, right? Uh, but I am so much more humble than I used to be. I was not a, the best leader in the world, but I tried really hard. I poured my life into this congregation. And then one day, randomly, uh, the head pastor of the church called me in and said, I need to have a meeting with you. And I said, okay. And I walked and sat down with him. And he and I had been having some pretty big difficulties for a while leading up to this. A lot of these difficulties resolved, revolved around differences in opinion and how we're supposed to lead things uh, and what things are appropriate for churches to do. So I had a lot of conversations about how, hey, I don't want us to do things that would be leaving us open to liability or be illegal right? No, don't put kids places where there's no fire extinguishers, right? Uh, no, don't just let random people drive kids away from the building. I don't like that. Uh, no, don't use copyrighted music in our advertising without attribution or anything, right? Just normal stuff, right? Like, hey, just don't do it, right? And we had arguments about this quite a bit. Uh, and then we had one of these arguments. And the day afterwards, 
he called me in and sat me down. And he said, hey, I was praying and talking to Jesus. And I'm like, okay, good. I like that. And Jesus and I had a conversation. Okay. And Jesus told me something. Okay. What Jesus told me is you're not supposed to be a pastor anymore. No okay. Right? Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean he says I'm not supposed to be a pastor anymore? He'll, he said you're not allowed to be a pastor anymore. You can still preach. You can still teach. You can still run the ministries you're running. You can still do the administration. But you're not allowed to be a pastor anymore. Because Jesus said. This struck me as weird for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think titles are the main thing Jesus cares about generally. So for someone to say I can do the work of pastoring... I can shepherd people, lead discipleship ministries, teach and preach, but I'm not allowed to have the title of pastor. Strikes me as someone saying they haven't heard properly from Jesus. Because if he was saying I wasn't supposed to be a pastor, he would also be saying I'm not allowed to lead, right? That's kind of a duh statement, right? Hey, if you're not supposed to be leading people, don't lead people. As opposed to Jesus says you're not allowed to have the name of a leader, but you're supposed to still be leading people. It was super weird, too, because I was still unpaid at this point. Like, firing me was literally just removing a title. It was super weird. I didn't understand. And then because of the way he said it, straight up, Jesus said this, and so we're doing it. There was no concept of what I had done wrong. There was no way for me to repent. There was no way for me to say I'm sorry and apologize and correct myself before God and be restored to the position I was in before. It's like he was saying I was not supposed to have this position, period, and there was nothing that could be done about it. And this floored me for a couple of reasons. Do you know the biggest reason why this floored me? Yeah? What? Well, that's part of it. That wasn't even the biggest part, though. This was less than a month away from whenever Anna was due. It was less than a month away from whenever I was having my first kid. And so if you all, who here has had kids before or seen friends or family have kids? Right? How much does it knock them for a loop when they have their first kid? Quite a bit, right? It takes a while to figure out what your life is like and rebuild it back together and try and find out how you're supposed to function as a person again. And it takes a lot of people surrounding you it takes a lot of people caring for you appropriately. It takes a lot of people who actually demonstrate love and kindness to you. And it takes a while for you to figure out who you are again, right? It just happens. My life changed the day I took Anna home from the hospital. It was whenever we had her. It was still surreal at that point. It was whenever I had to drive away with her, and it was on me and Christy to care for. My life changed completely. But right before then, I lost part of my identity because I built up myself as my identity as a pastor, and that was gone. And not only that, but after praying with Christy and talking with her, we made the decision to step away from that church because we had lost uh, confidence that the leader was actually paying attention to Jesus or was leading appropriately. And so our entire support structure ended up being gone. We got a little bit of support but not as much as one would think. It was hard on me, and I'm a very outgoing person. I can make friends wherever I go. What killed me was how much it was hard on Christy, because she's not. She needed people around her. She didn't have them. So we went and visited a church, and maybe the first day she sat in the back by herself and didn't talk to anybody, and I was up having conversations with like 30 other people. So I was fine, because I can, I can drag together a ragtag group of people to hang out with me anytime I want, basically. She doesn't do that. So I had to watch the way that that affected her, and that killed me a little bit inside. Sin affects us, right? Sin affects everybody. We all deal with it. We all see the ways that it hurts. We all see the ways that it causes issues for people. Oh, I just lost my place. One second here. 
and sin affects us heavily, right? Sometimes our own sin affects us. Sometimes the sins of others affect us. Sometimes the ways in which people are imperfect affect us pretty heavily. What can we do about this? Who will save us from our sins? Who will save us when we're broken? We walked all the way through the Old Testament and talked about how sin affected everything throughout it, right? In Matthew 1.20, Joseph is praying about the fact that he has found out that his wife is pregnant without him, or his fiance is pregnant without him and her having known each other, if you know what that means. And he was considering divorcing his wife quietly because he didn't want to shame her. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's an answer to sin, right? Following this, Jesus went and began preaching. Oops. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Whenever he began his ministry, his call was for repentance, which is the act of stepping away from your sin and moving away from it. Recognizing who you are and where you're imperfect, prayerfully asking God to lead you away from it, and then walking away from whatever your sin is, right? Jesus' ministry is defined by people's relationships to sin. His main message was calling for people to leave them. He was foretold as the one who would save people from their sins whenever he was born. And we'll see in a little bit that a lot more of his story touches on this aspect. But back into story time. That sin against me didn't just affect me, right? It affected Christy. It affected the rest of the church that I was part of. It affected the new church I became part of because they had to deal with me. Like, more depressed than usual. It affected everybody. We are all affected by sin, both our own and the sins of those around us. Everyone is affected by it. You see this daily. How often do you see things like broken communication cause issues between people? How often do you see conflict occur between people who love each other? How often do you see people who just can't stand each other, who kind of bite at each other? How often do you see people just purely disregard the needs of everyone around them and ignore them and put themselves first? We're all affected by it. And we all need saved from it. Everybody needs saved from it. I'm not joking about that everybody part. Let me just check this out. I want to read you two different Bible stories that are right next to each other, right? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And they say, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah reborn. And who do the people say I am? That's what they reply, and then Jesus says, who do you say I am to his disciples? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter straight up understands who Jesus is and what he does, right? He understands. He gets it. His disciples get it. And then Jesus begins to teach his disciples, telling them that because of this, he will live, he will be arrested, he will be crucified, and on the third day he will rise. He begins to teach them the ramifications of what it means for him to be the Christ. Oh, by the way, I'm going to die and resurrect, and I'll save you all from your sins. And Peter says, no, Lord, this cannot be. Same Peter who was just like, you're the Christ, says, no, Lord, you cannot be. So Jesus had just responded saying, blessed are you, because this has been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And directly afterwards, this is Jesus' next response to Peter. 
He said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right? Literally everybody is affected by sin. And it can be on a moment-by-moment basis. It can change rapidly. It can go from being, no, I understand. I got this. I understand who you are, Jesus, to I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. In a heartbeat. In the blink of an eye. I did almost say in a heart blink there. I caught myself. What are you doing there? Now, it's worth noting, again, Jesus is discussing the concept of sin. And it's really easy for me to talk about other people's sin. Super easy. I'm pretty good at it. I can talk about other people's sin all day. All day. Thank you. But, fun story, to think about and care about other people's sin and to condemn them for their sin is not a good thing. Jesus talked about this concept, too. In Luke 18, he says this. He told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He told a parable to those who said, I'm good, other people suck. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I talked about the sin of the other person for quite a bit. Let me tell you about mine. So, I am not joking whenever I say I was a bad leader at times. I was punky. I was contemptuous. I was prideful. Part of the reason why I had such a bad relationship with this other pastor is because there was no hiding the contempt in my voice whenever I talked about his leadership skills to him. I said, you suck. I'm so much better to him all the time. Doesn't make me look good, (laughs) considering what we just read, right? That was hard to deal with. You think I'm rough as a lead pastor, consider me under someone's authority, right? I am not the best follower in the world, which is also sad because Jesus said leaders are those who serve and who follow, right? And so the fact that I can say to myself I am bad at following is probably a pretty bad sign about me and who I am. And not only that, but I also was very harsh in the way that I spoke to people and especially this other leader. I hurt him heavily. Now, to note, that doesn't excuse his sin, but his sin doesn't excuse mine either. I had no right to be mean or jerky or prideful just because I did not like his leadership style. And yes, he had some actual issues with leadership that needed addressed, but the way in which I spoke to him did not help me address those. It actually drove a wedge between us whenever I could have probably held a better relationship with him to begin with. Not only that, but being sinned against hurt. That hurt. And watching the way in which Christy was crushed hurt so bad. And I kind of resolved myself at that point not to let us get to the point where we get hurt like that again. I would teach people and train them and maintain professional distance so that if anyone got mad or left, it wouldn't hurt me too bad. And I was very careful of Christy and keeping her from forming very, very close relationships if I possibly could because I didn't want to see her hurt again at all. You see, the sin that affected me affected other things. And not only that, but sin begets sin. Someone sinned against me, and I sinned right back. Not just against him, but against other people. I sinned against those whom God had entrusted me to. 
this has affected me for years, and it still affects me. I can pretend it doesn't, I can pretend I'm past it. I'm not. I'm still broken because of it. And it causes a lot of issues. But some things. Christy and I went to a different church. And we stepped in. I trusted the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and I still do. It's a denomination I know of and I appreciate and understand. So we went to their website on Tuesday afternoon after having that conversation with the other pastor. And we found on Tuesday night a Christian and Missionary Alliance church well, a church that was related to them, not actually in their denomination, but a brother church that was planting an alliance. They were just starting out. And we saw them. And we read about what they were doing. And we saw their logo, which was pretty rough. And we saw some other things that they were doing, and we said, you know what, this is a place where we could actually help. So that Sunday, we were at that other church. And I was broken and hurt, didn't know who I was. My identity was sort of spiraling out of control. And I went and met with the pastor of this other church directly after the service. He met us, and they took us out to lunch afterwards. And he sat down with me. And he's like, so what's going on? And I blab, because I just talk. If you haven't ever met me, I just, you know everything about me if you've ever met me, right? I tell him everything that occurred and how I didn't know what to do because I'd been building up pastor as part of my identity, and it's gone now. And what does that mean? He's like, okay, question, one quick. Uh, you follow Jesus, right? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, okay, so you're a servant of Jesus, good, all right. Uh, you are married to this young lady we're sitting next to, right? Yeah, okay, well, you're a husband, all right, yeah. She's very pregnant, right? <laughs> you're about to have your first kid, right? Yeah, okay, so your identity's dad, all right. Father, husband, servant of Christ. That's a lot of identity. You didn't lose who you are by not being a pastor anymore. You still have a lot of identity. So that actually helped catch my spiral. I didn't spiral out of control. That was very good. I started to learn some other things about myself, too. One that I've talked about multiple times, the fact that I'm more of a teacher and an administrator than a pastor pastor, right? And I say that often. I don't pastor very well. But one thing I also did learn about myself is the way in which God has provided spiritual gifts, one of the ways in which he's gifted me. There's, uh, depending on how you define it, if you go with Alan Hirsch, I have a gifting considered apostleship, which is the ability to help build and start new things. And what that generally looks like is you're able to do whatever is necessary and whatever your team lacks until you find someone else to take over those positions, which is true. I do a lot of stuff, not perfectly or not well at times, but I'll do it until I find someone who's better at it than me, and then I hand it off. Then I do something else, not perfectly, until I find someone else to hand it off to. Uh, another person, Rick Warren, also describes apostleship as the ability to talk to anyone about anything, basically, to become all things to all people. That became more apparent even in places like Alliance, where I started having 45-minute conversations with people about their tractor, right? And hunting. And people would hand me firearms, and they should not hand me firearms. Right? Oh, here, check out my gun. Oh, thanks. What is this? Nope, point it away. I'm taking that back now. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And why just hand me a gun? That was weird. Right? <laughs> but you talk so well about them. No, I ask questions, honestly. Yeah. So I have this gifting, this ability to be able to do what is necessary for an organization to build up and grow. But fun story, because of the hurt that I felt at different points in my previous ministries, there's a role that I'm able to do, but I've chosen not to do it because it requires a large amount of personal uh, investment. It requires a large amount of vulnerability and it makes it possible that I will be hurt again by other people. And that's the pastoral aspect of ministry. Whenever we talk about things that City Church is currently missing, we don't have anyone actually shepherding the entire congregation. We have individuals shepherding individuals, or some leaders shepherding a couple of people underneath them. 
but there's no one who's actually just running shepherding ministries across the entire church. And I've known this and just let it sit. I was sinned against. And in doing so, I got frustrated and sad and hurt. And in doing so, I have sinned because I've not been doing what I'm supposed to do. Does that make sense? There's a couple things we do when we see the effects of sin in our lives. If you see the effects of your own sin, what do you do? If you recognize you have sinned against somebody, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, apologize to them and stop doing it, right? Those are the two. You apologize and then you repent. You stop doing the thing you were doing. So, first of all, City Church, I apologize for the fact that I have not been pastoring well and have not been shepherding you. I'm sorry. Step two is to step away from it and not do that sin anymore. <sighs> Teacher, administrator, right? Teacher, administrator are my primary giftings. It's what if everything else is going okay, that's what I would tend to gravitate towards, right? If I didn't need to fulfill other roles, that's the role I would enjoy fulfilling the most. But because of that, whenever I didn't want to pay attention to other things that were happening, I just go to those roles, right? Uh, the same church that I got fired from before, about three months after I got fired, I got frantic phone calls from a bunch of people within the congregation. Uh, some asked me to do weird things like, hey, can you come take yourself off the bank account? And I'm like, uh, I was fired. You shouldn't need me to do that, right? You don't need me to come in and take myself off of an account. You're allowed to remove me. <laughs> uh, and other ones calling and asking for prayer and other things happening. And I assumed, hey, other pastor, you probably just broke down, right? Because uh, he had done so before, just completely broken down and just disappeared for months at a time with no leadership put in place, with nothing actually set up, no stable anything in place. No actual organization had been begun that would allow the church to be led if he wasn't there. And so I assumed that after I left, he broke down again because he didn't have enough people to actually help. That wasn't the case, something else had happened. Uh, but as I'd heard about this, I assumed he was leaving and stepping down and I said, okay, good there are some things that I can go back and fix. I can go back to this church and take it over and I can fix these things. Step one thing I can fix. I can fix the lack of organization and make it so that the church is run effectively by leaders. And that there is a leadership structure in place wherein if one person drops, the entire thing doesn't go away, right? And then number two, I can make sure that church is purely outreach focused because for the past several years, the church has been heavily focused on itself just completely focused on itself and not talking to other people. Didn't actually do a good job reaching out whatsoever. And so I could make sure that the culture was in place wherein the church would focus on reaching out to other people first. So I would teach them what to do, and I would fix the administrative stuff that was broken. And I found out why he was stepping down. And the people didn't need a teacher and an administrator. They needed a shepherd, which I was not in place to be. So I didn't go back. But that actually reveals two things about what I find myself to be very passionate about. I'm passionate about the church having effective leadership and leadership in place where if one person drops off, the church can still survive. Very passionate about having proper organization in the church and very passionate about the church being very missions focused. So fun story, whenever we started City Church, there were two things that we had that we were going to do very well and we were going to organize ourselves appropriately so that we could very well tell people that if I were to die, the church would still exist and function right? And that they didn't need me. They could exist without me. And two, I would make sure that I focused heavily on outreach completely, and I would just push and push and push to reach out, and I would push really hard to reach out, and I would do that work as hard as I could, right? And we didn't uh, have any pastoral focus whatsoever whenever we started City, period. So fun story, we're now about five years in, and we have a very good leadership team set up to the point that I can leave for three months and have no worries about it actually functioning. Uh, I have some light worries about the ways people's interpersonal dynamics will happen sometimes, but I think they'll be fine until I get back, <laughs> right? 
but the church is fine leadership-wise. We have five people who can teach besides me. We have multiple people who can lead ministries besides me. Jake is going to be able to pick up everything that I do without a problem. He's worried about it. He doesn't have to be. He's going to do fine. And I have done a lot of focusing on missions work. I spend a lot of time throughout the week talking to people who are followers or not followers of Christ and pouring into them. And Jake does a large amount of time reaching out to people who are not followers of Christ and pouring into them. But neither one of us is focused on teaching the church how to do that. <laughs> and neither one of us is focused on making sure the church is cared for so that they're able to do that. Which is why now we're sitting five years in with about 50 people in regular attendance. Because we are doing the work ourselves as opposed to empowering you to do it. Right? So, again, my apologies. This is part of the effect of me learning some about myself and then going way too far in the other direction for it. It actually happens a lot, guys. If you are sitting over here, like if you're a pendulum and you swing up and you get hurt while you're at the top over here, generally you don't move to the middle and stop at the right place. Usually you pendulum swing in the other direction and you go to the other opposite extreme, right? So, I saw poor leadership development I focused on nothing but trying to put together leadership. <laughs> I saw poor missions work, and I focused on nothing myself but telling people about Jesus. Whenever, in fact, in doing so, I went so far in the opposite direction that I stepped into sin myself. It happens. What I can do is apologize, repent, and move along for it. So whenever you sin... What do you do? You apologize, and you repent, and you attempt to make it right. What do you do whenever someone sins against you? If you see the imperfection in someone else, and it needs addressed, what do you do? If I sin against Jake, what is Jake supposed to do? Huh? Yeah, he should come and yell at me. Maybe not yell. Gently chide me and push me towards being like Jesus. Or as I say, yell. Right? There's gentle chiding in my book. If I ignore Jake, what's Jake supposed to do? Yeah. Bring someone else along. They say a witness. And so whenever we hear that, we obviously say someone else who saw the sin. But no, it's actually someone else to be there to verify you had this conversation with them. It doesn't have to be someone who is heavily involved. But at that point, you bring someone else in. What if they ignore them? What if I ignore again with those few people and I keep doing the thing I was doing? Then what? Hmm? Well, not quite excommunicated. That, huh? Hey, you bring it to the church. In our case, bring it to the church starts out with bringing it to the elders. Because the elders are the ones in the church who have authority to enact discipline, right? So if I sin against Jake, and he calls me on it, and I ignore him, and he calls me out again with another person, and I ignore him, then he tells the elders about it, and he gets me involved, gets the elders involved, and the elders can appropriately discipline me, as they should. Why do we do this? Why is this the way in which you're supposed to resolve conflict? Well, that's, duh. Yeah, that makes it way too easy, Sunday school answer. Yeah, why else? Can you think of why Jesus would have put this into place? Huh? Yeah, the whole point of Jesus is to remove the conflict that exists between people and God, people in the world, and people in each other, Right? Jesus wants to see people restored and reconciled in relationship. And that can't happen if you're not willing to talk to the other person. You have to be able to. Does that make sense? So what are our takeaways? Whenever you see sin occur, if it is your own sin, what do you do? Yeah, apologize and repent. Go and say, I'm sorry. And by the way, saying I'm sorry and just like, hey, sorry, dude. My bad. 
usually supposed to be heartfelt. Be like, Jake, I apologize. This is what I have done wrong, and I shouldn't have. It was wholly sinful. You did not deserve it by any means. I have no justification for my actions. Please forgive me. I know it's going to take some time for you to do so. I know it's going to take some time for you to trust me again. But I need forgiveness. And you apologize to God, too, because you also sin against him. And then you don't do that thing again. <laughs> Whatever you did, strive your hardest not to do it again. And if someone else sins against you, what do you do? You attempt to bring the relationship into place, right? You attempt to restore the relationship in as gentle of a way as necessary with the first offering a chance for them to repent and then taking another person, offering them another chance and then taking it before the church with the entire goal being every time for you to have a restored relationship with that person because Jesus wants you to. Straight up he says at one point that how we forgive is how we will be forgiven, right? Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We are called to forgive like Jesus forgives. That doesn't mean we trust again. Those are two different things. I'm just going to toss that out there real quick. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. It is possible to forgive someone without trusting them. If Jake walks up to me and punches me in the face and says, oh, dude, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. There was no reason why I should have punched you in the face. I apologize. I can forgive Jake. And if he walks up and punches me again in the face, and he apologizes to me and says, dude, I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Please forgive me. I can forgive him. That doesn't mean I should trust the next time he walks up to me. <laughs> right? No, no, I forgive you. But stay at least four feet away at all times. Right? That's perfectly reasonable. If someone sins against you over and over again, you don't have to continue trusting them. But you have to forgive them. Sin affects everybody. We all need saved. Sin begets sin. How do we react to sin? One other thing. Jesus overcomes sin. Jesus overcomes sin. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people were brought to him with a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees a dude paralyzed and says, Hey, don't worry, you are forgiven. And behold, the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. This man is committing blasphemy. Do you know why they say he's committing blasphemy? It's spoken in another portion. Only God can forgive someone's sin. Only God can forgive sin. So the scribes are saying, you are attributing to yourself a quality that only God has. That's wrong, Jesus. And Jesus, knowing our thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. So he got up and went home. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He can overcome them by his own power, by his own volition. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God, who had given such authority to men, or a man. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus' blood makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Jesus' blood makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, and reconciled to the world. He makes it possible. Whenever he returns, he will fully reconcile all of those things. Completely. This is what we have our hope in. Him and his reconciliation. So on to my sabbatical. Hey guys, you know I said I trust the church to run itself while I'm gone? I'm taking three months off, starting next Monday at the latest. For one of them, one month is maternity, paternity, paternity leave. I get the pup part of that. 
and then two months of sabbatical. There are a couple reasons why I need this. One, I actually, I've been in ministry for 13 years, and rests are necessary, right? Like I said before, I saw the other pastor get stressed and stressed and stressed and just fall off the face of the earth. One of the times whenever I saw him get most stressed and fall off the face of the earth was literally the week after we started paying him for the first time. <laughs> we started paying him. He went into basically, uh, I want to say like stress out, die mode, and he just disappeared for four months. And he didn't have anyone to put in place while he was gone. He actually just had one of the random people who was a deacon just run the church. He didn't trust me with it, actually. He gave it to another random person, which is weird. I understand why now, though. And I didn't want to see that happen to me. I have begun becoming more and more stressed, and I've become more and more ungracious, ungentle towards people. And a lot of that is a stress reaction on my part. It was time for me to take a rest. So I requested a sabbatical before the church ever got close to starting to pay me. And I explained what I wanted to do, how long I'd like to take it, and what was the steps it would take to get it put in place. And those things are all put in place now. Seriously, tomorrow, I turn off my phone and kick it over to Jake's phone number. Not my full phone number, the church phone number. I turn off the church emails. I start going over to Jake. Uh, I send out the communication report. And then I prepare whatever I can the rest of the week. But all the actual transferring is done. In case you need to know who to contact for people, I've actually got a list of people to contact for different things. I can kick that out to you if you'd like it. If you want a copy, let me know. Otherwise, Jake Quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely contact me if someone dies. All right? Uh, no, don't call me for that one. I don't want to know. Just fix it before I get back. I leave that on you. All right. <laughs> yes, if someone dies, contact me. If Jake falls apart or gets in an accident, contact me. Uh, if, uh, what, if some... One of two things. Either write it down or ask Jake. He's just as good. <laughs> beyond big toe alright yeah I don't want to hear about it alright generally I'm off the grid just so you know I will be back the first week with Ayla whenever Ayla comes back with us but other than that Christy and the kids will still be coming to church here but I'll be actually going to a different church for a while probably a bunch of different ones as you know might as well go steal ideas from people I mean learn from others appropriately. I am an artist. Okay. <laughs> they don't, you don't copyright your methodology. What? Oh, I, can't I will feel anything that's like, yeah, don't worry. I got you. We got this. Speaking of which, he might be contacting you a little bit later. He wants to, he wants to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? He has a secret he wants to talk to you about. Creed wants to talk to you about secrets. The Creed and the Blade get together. <laughs> no, okay. Anywho. All right, sabbatical. Sabbatical, back in. Yeah, you will. Look at you. All right, so I'm going to be taking three months off. During this time, my first month will be focusing on my family, putting back together life after having a third kid. I hear it's one of the big transition points from having a parent because you're now outnumbered. So I got to deal with that. We'll see what it's like. I'm not as worried about it because now kids, not twice already, it's a third one. Yeah, I know, right? And the <laughs> All right. After month two, after month one is over, I'm going to be starting a research project, actually. And here's what I am going to be researching. I'm going to be researching methods and means of pastoral care. What does it mean to pastor a congregation? And I'm going to be researching it from a congregation of 50 people up to a congregation of 200 people. So I can learn what it looks like as the steps go on. I'm going to try and learn what it means to be a pastor, a shepherd, not just a teacher and a leader. 
And I'll be studying this for two months. Probably more time to put into any other topic, honestly, I've ever studied before. Whenever I come back, I'm going to implement it. When I step back, I'm going to be coming in and focusing on pastoral care. A lot of this will be quarterbacking, honestly. It'll be watching and seeing what's going on in people's lives, getting to know them, talking about them, learning about them, making sure other people have the ability to care for them too. Because I won't be able to do it all myself. And honestly, I'm not the most comforting of individuals, right? Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry that happened to you. My bad. Let me pray and have a good day, right? I can learn how to do better than that, but I can also learn how to notice people are going through things and pass them to other people as well, right? But whenever I come back, I'm going to focus on pastoral care. The only way I can do this, though, the only way I can in good conscience do this is to say this. Reaching out to people means so much to me that it scares me to say I'm going to focus on pastoral care. The only way I can do so is if y'all promise you'll take care of the reaching out to people. I'll focus on you as long as you focus out ways. Does that sound like an okay deal? <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> but that is why I'm going on sabbatical, and that's what I'm going to be doing while I'm gone. If you guys wouldn't mind, pray for me, and I'd like you to do something else as well. I'd like each of you to take some time while I'm gone, and I need you to be able to help answer a question whenever I get back, which is, what does it mean for me to pastor you? What does it look like? What would our relationship as friends, as leaders be if I am pastoring you in the way that you feel pastoring is supposed to occur? I cannot guarantee I will pastor you all the way you want to, because some of you may have very bad ideas about what pastoring is. Right? Straight up. Oh, I think that means you have to come over and play video games with me seven hours a day. No. <laughs> right? Huh? No. <laughs> but it would be very helpful to know what would be good pastoral care for you. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, let's take a second and pray. Would anyone be interested in praying for me and my family before we go? Now, the kids are in the other room. Christy is home sick. So you'll be praying for them remotely. What, does anyone want to pray? Yeah? Please. Whoever wants to. Yeah, it's fine. Everyone attack. Now, if any of you punch me, I will forgive you. But, yeah. Everybody's coming up. Hey, by the way, I took way too long. Don't do the song. I wanted to. <laughs> Told you. Jake, uh, relatively quick communion, if you don't mind. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Everyone just grab and run as you go back to your seats, no? Someone pray. I'm done talking.